Well, I want to talk to you this morning about the way of love. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Last week, I gave a sermon, and you know, we didn't get it recorded, and I thought, well, I should just re-preach it this Sunday. That way, they could record it, you know, this, this week. But uh, then I thought, here's what I could do, is I could say, I was going to preach what I preached last Sunday, and preach this sermon, and see if anybody remembered <laughs> what I preached last week. First, First Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 13 now I want to talk to you about the way of love. And I'm borrowing that title from the paragraph heading in the English Standard Version of God's Word. Now let's have a reading. 13, 1 through 3. The Word of the Lord says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then... Face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. We're jumping into the last, about a quarter, of the book of 1 Corinthians here. And this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And this letter that Paul wrote is at once both a firestorm of correction and a fabulous demonstration of love because the Apostle Paul is going, has been telling the Corinthian church some things they really need to hear. It's not things that they want to hear, but it is things they really need to hear, things they need to pay attention to. Paul's pastoral heart is on vivid display here because while they are an erring church, they are still a church of Christ, a Christian church. And my friends, I want you to understand something. A church can err a lot 
before it ceases to be a legitimate church of Christ. W.A. Gerald, in his book, Baptist Perpetuity, he says that a church ceases to be a a legitimate church when the error of that church becomes the permanent practice of that church. Now, every church that you're around, every church makes mistakes, right? Do we make mistakes? Certainly we do. Never when calling a pastor, but we do make mistakes. (laughs) But we do make, churches make mistakes. Make mistakes. And as far as I know, we don't don't have any doctrinal errors in this church, but you never know. You might be ratting around the Bible in a Bible study and find out that we are confessing an error. We sang that song, uh, And Can It Be? And I'm always struck by those words where it says that Christ emptied himself of all but what? All but love which that might be a theological error because did Christ divest himself of his deity and all his power? Did he divest himself of everything, of all the divine attributes except love? Probably not. (laughs) But we, we give music a little latitude, don't we? So a church can err quite a bit and still be a legitimate church of Christ. Now, while Paul is correcting the church at Corinth, In the midst of this particular section, he's correcting the church about their misuse of the spiritual gifts in chapter 12. And as he brings that correction to an end, he tells the church that the the thing you guys need to focus on more than anything else is not the exercise or demonstration of these spiritual gifts, because giftedness often makes us arrogant when somebody's very talented or gifted in some area. He says what you guys need is love. Because if you don't have love in your fellowship and love one for another, nothing else matters. That's what he says in verse in chapter 13 there, in verse 1. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am just an annoying sound. And so he tells the church at Corinth, you guys, while you are very gifted and very talented and you're doing a work for the Lord, you need to love one another. This admonition from the apostle to love one another is throughout the New Testament. He's always telling Christians, love, love, love. The other thing he's always telling Christians is don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And so that's the two things we got to work at, right? Don't sin, if you agree with that, say amen. And love each other, amen? Love each other. And I guess we could probably say if we don't love each other, that's the same as committing a... <laughs> I want you to notice the first thing in verses 1 to 3, how to make your gift a curse. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. If I have this gift of tongues, but I don't exercise it in love, with love, then I am just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And when I was a kid, my grandma worked for General Electric. And at some point in my childhood, my mom got a GE alarm clock, my brother got a GE alarm clock, and I got a GE alarm clock. All, they're all exactly the same. And they had this lovely little gray button on top called the snooze button. You guys ever had experience with a snooze button? Now, my snooze button was a nine-minute snooze button. So if you set your alarm for 6 o'clock and you hit snooze, you could snooze for... Nine minutes. It didn't take me long to figure out that three taps equaled how many minutes of snoozing? 27. 
I could, I could wear out a snooze button, man. I mean, just ding, 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 ding. Because there's nothing like being asleep. And you're in that beautiful, that beautiful state of rest. And here, I mean, it just makes you nuts. At our house, we have, everybody at our house has a cell phone because we are, you know, children of the age. And I, I, this morning I got up at, uh, uh, see, my alarm went off at 3 o'clock. And so I was up sitting at the kitchen table and uh, I heard an alarm go off at 5 o'clock. Beep, 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 beep. And I thought, who is that? Well, it was one of the kids' alarm. And I heard, I heard it silence. Maybe six or seven minutes later, I heard beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I heard it go off. Six or seven minutes later, I heard it beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Until finally, it didn't come, go off anymore. I went and tapped on somebody's door. But there's, there's nothing like the annoying sound of alarm clocks going off. They are annoying. And the apostle says the exercise of this gift of speaking, this gift of tongues, when exercised without love, is just annoying to people. So Paul is saying, and, and, and this is usually used to aim, this is usually aimed at pastors, when it says, if a pastor proclaims the truth to his church, but he does it without love, all he is going to do is annoy the people. Because if a church knows their pastor, their main teacher, cares for them and loves them, they'll put up with a lot. They'll put up with a lot. They'll put up with bad jokes, right? <laughs> they'll put up with extended inning sermons. <laughs> they'll, they'll put up with all kinds of stuff if they know that you love them. And Paul says what you need is love. We must have this love. If you have the super gifts but no love, instead of being a beacon of knowledge or a guide to the church or an example of trusting God, you are nothing. That's what verse 2 says. Though I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have nothing, but I have not love, I am nothing. Now, Paul, he's not aiming this particularly at pastors, although it's applicable. He's giving this to the whole church. Because within the church, it's, the church is a gifted body. Everybody has gifts. But if you use your gift without love, well, you're just a pain in the neck is what you are. You're just a nuisance. You are just shooting yourself in the foot. You're making your gift a curse. Now, Mitchell's not here, so we'll talk about Mitchell. Mitchell's my oldest son, all right? Now, Mitchell sings. He sings, he sings pretty good. And let, let, Lacey, how many times have you yelled at Mitchell and said, Mitchell, please shut up? <laughs> Millions of times because Mitchell could lock himself away in his bedroom, you know, and be in there singing so loud you felt like you could be in the back of the house and you feel like he's right there with you. When, when he, he, Mitchell is a runner. He runs. When he used to run through our neighborhood in, o, in Oklahoma, run, uh, he would sing while running. And so kids across the street, neighborhood boys, would mock him as he would come by running. And one lady, I saw, the, I saw this lady one time in the neighborhood, and she said, hey, where do you live at? I said, I live over on 51st Street. She said, is that where the, is that where the singing boy comes from? Because he is just everywhere. And after a while, while he was very gifted, 
it just got on your nerves. Got on your nerves because he didn't exercise it with love. <laughs> now, look, let's not, talk, let's not tease Mitchell when he comes home, all right? Everybody promise? Pinky promise? All right. I know how you guys are. So if you exercise your gift without love, it becomes a curse. If you even, Paul says, if you give your whole self to the cause of Christ, even to die, but you do it without love, you gain no reward. It begins with using yourself, using what God has given you out of love for others. Now, the second thing I want you to notice is what love looks like in verses 4 to 7. What love looks like. And this is, this is such a great reading. Love is patient. We can define patience as cheerful endurance. Love is patient and kind. These two things go together because patient and gracious. We went, we went to uh, Petoskey Friday evening on the way back. We stopped at Culver's. And, you know, and it's, well, we, usually we go to Culver's. There or Culver's in uh, the other place, Gaylord, because that, you know Valerie likes the butter burger they have there, and uh, I like the chicken. The chicken strips they have there is pretty good. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Culver's is all that great myself. You know, McDonald's is just as good, if not better. I know. I know. The only good thing about Culver's is the root beer, but the root beer is always cold, which means it's no good. Root beer should always be. Root beer should always be drank room temperature. Right? Wow. Where have I come to? <laughs> so we, we got there. You know, there's a long line in front of us. You know, and our, our, listen, our backbones were rubbing holes in our belly. We was hungry. And so we're standing in line, there's all these people, and we're watching people, and you'll go through the line, and then the people right in front of us. <sighs> Can I help? We've been staying there maybe 10 minutes. Can I help you, ma'am? What would you like to order? I don't know. Uh, give me, I don't know, what do you think? And I'm like, you've been standing here for 10 minutes. You were here when I got here. If you don't know already what you want, then get out of lying. Of course, I'm thinking all these things in my mind. What are you doing up there? And then, and then, they, and then, then there was some kind of option she could have had. I want to say, do. I want to say the guy, you know, patient, gracious. You know, when she, she's standing there, she looks over her shoulder, you know, I wanted to give her the old. <laughs> but you know, you're being gracious, right? Love is gracious. Now, we've all been in those situations where we're not really feeling like we're being gracious, but if we love somebody, we're gracious. You got your, got, you know, you're there with your girlfriend, you're there with your wife, and, you're, <laughs> and, and you're, you're, check, you're getting something, and you're like, what do you want, honey? Well, I don't know. I don't want to hold up the line. And what do you say, brothers? You say, don't worry about it. Those people behind us don't matter because you're cared about that person at the moment, right? We know what it's like to be gracious and patient with people being kind with others. You know, in a local church, you know, we, we work together, we minister together, we serve together, and we have to be patient with one another and gracious with one another because everybody in this church is on a spiritual journey. 
to Christ's likeness. Now, how many of you have been saved for, feels like forever? I mean, saved like a long time. And you, and you, and you look around and you say, how come everybody else isn't as mature as I am? Well, they may not have been saved as long as you are, right? Everybody's on, on a spiritual journey. We're not all at the same level. I mean, you have to be patient with one another and gracious with each other. The apostle goes on to say that love does not, this is, love does not envy or boast. Now, envy. In, love does not envy what others have. The Greek word here could be translated boil. Love does not boil. Love does not boil about what other people have. It's kind of the sense here. Because not everyone in this church has the same stuff. We're all at different economic levels. We're all at different levels in age. When I, was, when, 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 when I got, when Valerie and I got married, we had, you know, we was poor. So we were, I don't know if these things are okay to say anymore. We were really poor back in those days. But my parents, just down the street, lived in this palatial three-bedroom, two-bath house that had air conditioning and a phone. And we didn't have either one. Valerie's parents, they, li- they lived in the Taj Mahal over there, you know. And we didn't have anything. We had, you know, we had four bowls and four spoons and four forks and four knives, you know, and four towels. And, I mean, we didn't have all the stuff that they had. And so it was easy to, it's easy to envy sometimes in a church about what other people have. Love does not get upset about what other people have. And then he goes on to say that love does not boast. Love does not rub in the nose of other people the things they have. Now, we see this with children all the time. Because after Christmas, you got to go to school, right? And what's the first question your little classmates are going to ask you when you get to school? What are they going to say? What did you get for Christmas? You know, if you're, if you're a kid and your parents don't have a lot of dough, what, what are you going to say? Oh, what would you get? I got socks. And, you know, and, your, and your team and your classmate gets into his backpack and pulls out, remember the Game Boy? That's way back there, isn't it? Game Boy or got an Atari. Or, and you, and it, it's easy to boast to rub people's noses in it. And in the church, if we love one another, we don't do those kinds of things. That means if you catch a big old juicy fish, don't bring any pictures up here. <laughs> love thinks about other people. Love is concerned for others. Love is not arrogant. Love doesn't become puffed up. Now, this is a chronic problem in the church at Corinth because Paul talks about this more than once. In 1 Corinthians 4, 6, he brings it up, and it's the idea that you get to believing that you're better than another, and only you really know if that's your problem or not because only you know the inside of you. Only you know. We are all really good at putting up a facade, the false face. And you only know what your real thoughts are about somebody. If you think you're better than somebody else in this church, that's, that's wrong. Because we've all come to this place by the way of the cross. We've all come here by grace through faith. We all came here because of Jesus. Not because of ourselves, not because of our, our pedigrees or lineages. We've come here by grace. By grace we have all been saved. Love is not rude. Rude. 
If you look up the definitions for this word rude, here's what you're going to find out. You're going to find it means love is not rough. Love is not rough. Love is not uncivil. Love is not harsh. Raw, <laughs> love is not raw. Love is not inelegant. What a great word, inelegant. I find myself to be guilty of all those things many times. In fact, I can say with, 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 that, right, with all candor, I find myself coming up in the negative column on these love things a lot. A lot. I'm not that way all the time, but definitely sometimes. But this, this one about rude, I find myself there a lot. Love is not nasty or hurtful with people. The little, the little letter of James talks about what a, what a, how small the tongue is, but how much fire it can create. Love. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. And it is not irritable or resentful when it doesn't get its own way. That's A.T. Robertson's uh, take on that phrase. Love does not insist on its own way, and the opposite is true. It is not irritable or resentful when it doesn't get its own way. There's a footnote here in the English Standard Version for the word resentful. It has a little number four beside it. At the bottom of the page, you might have one too. It says that the Greek could also mean irritable and does not count up wrongdoing or keep score. Keeping score. When I was a kid, we used to go to my grandma's house for Christmas. And my grandma had three angels and one devil for grandchildren. And her name was Misty. My cousin Misty. Now, I like my cousin Misty. She's just fine. Yeah, I'm dumb. Her name is Misty Dawn. And it took me a long time to realize that her name was, was about a landscape. Misty Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> you, guys didn't, you guys didn't laugh at that. Why? <laughs> Wasn't funny, dummy. So we would go to my grandma's house, and my grandma, my grandma always seemed to have plenty of money. My grandpa had plenty of money, too. And at Christmas, my grandma would do this thing where she would, some presents would be like half-wrapped. And half unwrapped. She would have a few things that were not wrapped that were kind of the big eye catchers. And then everything else was wrapped and had the names on it. And my cousin Misty, she would go underneath that tree and, she would, and she'd count. Now my name, my name as a kid was a very special name. Everybody called me Bumper when I was a kid. Nobody calls me Bumper now. Are we straight on that? <laughs> and there would, be a, there would be some presents that said Bumper. And then there would be presents that said Joel. That's my brother. There would be presents that said Jimmy. That's my cousin. And then there would be presents that said Misty on there. And Misty, she would count. And she'd come back and she'd say, you got 10. Joel got 7. Jimmy got 14. And I got 20. And I would keep score. I'd be like, well, that ain't right. You know? I'd be upset by it. But then I, I can remember one year when she countered up. <laughs> she didn't get as many as I got. 
And I was very happy that I beat her in the running that year. I must have been a much better grandkid that year. But keeping score is what people do. Now, it's striking that we read this, that Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, act like a child, speak like a child. This is what Paul's talking about. Don't keep score. Don't keep score about these kinds of things. <clears throat> I hesitate to tell this story because I don't know if I should or not, but I'm, I guess I should. I'm not going to do it. Love does not keep score about these things. doesn't get upset about it. Love, when you have love for somebody, if they have a success or a gain, how should you feel about that? Good. I read this recently. I, remember, I don't remember where I read it, but it said, the only man in your life, that's something for men I was reading, the only man in your life that's really happy when you do better than he does is your father. Because your father is not in competition with you. But every other dude you know is in competition with you. Bigger truck, bigger boat, bigger house, bigger fish, bigger gun, etc. Right? Love doesn't keep score that way. Let's move on. All in favor, say aye. Yeah, me too. Numbers, verse 6. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. One commentator connects this to Romans 1.32, where it talks about people who have pleasure in unrighteousness. A.T. Robertson says we should understand this as this. Love does not rejoice in the triumph of evil, probably in the lives of people who are our enemies. So if your enemy goes down or gets hurt, if evil triumphs in their life, we shouldn't rejoice and say, he finally got his. See what I'm saying? Proverbs says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls, lest the Lord see it and turn away his wrath from him. Enemies. Now, how many, if you've got any enemies, say amen. I know you don't want to admit it. <laughs> I got them. And when I hear that things are not going well for them, it is very hard for me to not get on Facebook and say, the Lord worked it out. <laughs> or to celebrate it. It's very hard. It's very hard. But there are my enemy. I must not love them if I'm feeling that way. Love doesn't rejoice in the triumph of evil over them. Love rejoices in the truth. Love is on the side of truth and definitely on the side of the people of truth. So if you have people in your life who are Christians and you care about them, you love them because of the truth you have in common, not because they agree with you on every single thing. It's the truth that you have in common. Now, I'm not going to say that either. Love bears all things. Look at the reading, verse 7. Love bears all things. A.T. Robertson A.T. Robertson is the greatest Greek guy to ever hit the, hit the planet. A.T. Robertson says this word bears here is like a roof. Like a roof that covers over things. And he gives us a cross-reference to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8. Let's turn over there and read that. 1 Peter 4, 8. This is Paul writing to 
this is Peter writing to Christians who are really going through a tough time. And when people are hurting, they tend to behave badly or they use their circumstances as an excuse for bad behavior. And here's what Peter says. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love overlooks people's shortcomings and misdeeds. Now I got five kids. You know how many of them are sinners? All of them. I got one wife. Valerie is also a sinner. That's where they got it from. Does anybody have a small room? <laughs> so, I, I love my kids, and they do all kinds of sins. They do all kinds of sins. And I love them anyway. And I don't really focus on their shortcomings either. I don't talk about their shortcomings. That's because that's I love them. Now, if anybody in the world wanted to take me out of the ministry and ruin my reputation, I'm going to tell you this. It's Valerie, my wife. Because she sees me at my best day, and she sees me at my worst days. She knows all about me. And she's a much better Christian than I am. I got, I got to admit that, without a doubt. You guys know it, because she never walks up here and chokes me. <laughs> she's a wonderful Christian lady. And her love for me covers over. She doesn't, talk, she doesn't talk about the things that you guys would all go, oh, Terry, nah, She loves me. She covers them over because she loves. That's what love does. Love covers over these things. My friend, my friend Don Fortner, he, he, would just, he would talk about that and say he said that um, love doesn't run people down when they mess up. Love covers it over. Love puts paint on the wall. Love puts paper up. Love hangs a picture over a hole in the wall. You know what I'm saying? Love just covers over those things because of love. Now, my friends, you may say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. How many of your sins has the love of Christ covered over? All of them. All of them. Listen. The Trinity is three individual people. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father has clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. You are wearing His righteousness. And God the Father, when He looks at you, if you have faith in Christ, He never sees your iniquity or your unrighteousness. All he sees is the righteousness of Christ. You've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You say, well, there's a holy, the, holy, the, holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows about it because he lives inside of you. But God the Father never does. That's why it's, it's my opinion that when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan and God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, that that is the exact same thing he says about every Christian person on the earth. 
These are my beloved children in whom I am well pleased because through faith we are as righteous as Jesus is. As righteous as Jesus is. It's not our own righteousness. It's not our righteousness cooperating with his righteousness either. It's imputed righteousness. It's alien righteousness. Something given to you by God through Christ. That's all God knows about you is you're righteous before him. Love bears these things. Love throws a veil over all the ugly parts of life. Love has faith in who it loves. Love has faith in the people it loves. We have faith in the people we love. Try to phrase this right. Love believes that you're going to be better tomorrow than you are today. Faith. Faith. Love does not despair. Love is not hopeless. Love knows that something is going to happen. Love doesn't give up. Love endures, perseveres. No matter the pain or the trial, it does not persevere. No. Love. How can we love like that? Well, you can't love like that on your own. It's impossible. It requires the Holy Spirit. The whole one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. Love. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're already loving like this, or you're on the path to loving this way. If you have the Holy Spirit, you know you ought to love that way because He rings the bell in your heart, right? If the phone's ringing at your house, what should you do? Pick up the phone. <laughs> Casey said, turn off the ringer. <laughs> Casey is on her way to being a Baptist. <laughs> now let's look at verses 8 to 13. Love is the superior gift to have. People in every church, whether they admit it or not, want to be acknowledged by their fellow members as important based on their gift. Uh, this is just by way of illustration. I'm, the, I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. This is what I do. This is my, my gift is my function. I preach and teach, Right? And I really like it when people say to me after the, after the sermon, good sermon. I like it. I can't help it. If nobody ever says anything to me after the sermon, I don't like that. I like to get one or two a week. <laughs> and not from the same people. And we, could, and we could go alphabetical. <laughs> we could put it on the schedule. <laughs> I'm just trying to say, everybody likes to be affirmed for their gifting. Everybody likes it. Everybody enjoys it. Good song. Way to play the piano. You're doing a great job fixing this or repairing this or keeping this going. Everybody likes that. The gifted They want to be called on to serve. The wise want to be consulted, and so it goes. But Paul is saying that the thing that we should most want to be known for is love. Love is the best 
thing. Love is the best thing. That's why he goes through and he shows us that the super gifts, these things are all going to pass away. Prophecies pass away. Tongues pass away. Knowledge passes away. But love will never pass away. And this, I think this is eschatological. Where he's, where he's saying that when Jesus comes, all these things are going to pass away except for love. Because the love of God never ends because God is love. Jesus says in John 13 to the disciples, he said in John 13, 31 through 35, that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Not that you have the right doctrine or the best churches, the biggest churches or the smartest people or the biggest offerings, but that you have love one for another. Love one for another. Jesus to the church at Ephesus told them they had left their first love. I had a little, I read a little sermon one time. It was entitled, The Church of Ephesus, They've Lost That Loving Feeling. <laughs> Not quite the right usage. but <laughs> Look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, and listen to what John says. 1 John 3. <laughs> Excuse me. 1 John 3, 11. One John three eleven. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this shall we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask from him because we keep his commandments and do it pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. This, this seems to be a very big deal, a hallmark, a sign of having the new life of Christ in you is this love one for another. Now, John is writing to Christians telling them to love because we are fleshly people. We are leaky vessels right? You can, you can be filled up with love. Have you ever walked out of church loving everybody there ever? Have you? I have. I've been in church services where we just had like a big old love fest. Like the Holy Spirit showed up and we, just all, we were just all in love with each other. And then you come back to church the next Sunday and it's like a desert wasteland. 
because we leak. We have to keep on reinvigorating this. We have to keep on going to the Lord. Now, the fourth thing to say is we have the role model of love, and that's with Christ. So right there in 1 John 4, 7 through 13, we read it earlier. The role model of love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is our role model. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. This is our role model, to love one another as God loves. Is God patient with us? Is God kind and gracious with us? Does God cover our transgressions? Does God's love, does God despair? No, He does not. He's our role model in love. Now let's pray together. I want to ask you some questions while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Only you know the answer to these questions. How is your love? How is it? I guess we should start with how is your personal love for God? How is your love for stuff creeps in? The last verse of 1 John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. There's always stuff creeping in. You love that vie for your affections. How is your love for God? Is something creeping in there? Have you, do you love your sin? Is some sin got into your life and you love it more than God? Some person's creeping into your life and you love them more than God? More than once in my life, I've seen people, they... They seem committed to Christ. They love the church. But they fall in love with Billy Bob or Brenda or start running around with some new buddy. And that person is able to seduce them and lure them away. And they don't care about God anymore. Is, is, is anybody popping up in your life like that? How is your love for God? How is your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Have you fallen prey to pseudo-love? False love, are you, are you, have you become just a lip service lover? I love them on my lips, but not in my heart. Now you've got to be careful in these kind of questions. You could start to think about other people and say, Oh, I know so-and-so needs to hear this. Look, it's not they who need to hear it, it is you who need to hear it. Because you cannot change them. All you can do is correct your own love. So the only person you can work on is yourself. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you need to take a minute and make a prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, I haven't been loving like I ought to. I haven't, I haven't been doing it right. Please forgive me. Now, this is probably not a custom you guys have ever seen in a long time. But if you're here this morning and the Lord has dealt with you about 
your need, you need to adjust your love. Would you put your hand up and put it right back down? Anybody like that? Say, I need to work on my love. Anybody like that? Hands went up. Now look, I'm going to pray for you. And while I'm praying, you pray for yourself. And if your love is doing pretty good, you pray for others. Because there are your brothers and sisters here right now who said, I need help with this. Let's pray together. Father, I don't even like to think about how far I fall short here. Help me to love like I ought to. Help me to be submitted to the Holy Spirit and being a loving Christian person. Help me not to get my standard of what love is from the world and the culture, but from your word. And Lord, hear from my friends and loved ones who raise their hand and say, oh, I need some help. I pray that you would help them. Infuse them with the, the Holy Spirit. They said we want to do better. Lord, help them. Help them, I pray, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.